There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. This is the road <laughs> to infinity. That little old ant Think he'll move that rubber tree plant Anyone knows an ant Can't move a rubber tree plant But he's got hopes He's got hopes He's got high apple pie in the sky Hope so anytime you're getting low Instead of letting go Welcome to the Road to Infinity podcast. Uh, this is your host, Kyle. That was High Hopes by Doris Day. What a fun way to start the show, right? So let's see. I'm going to talk you a little inside baseball here, a little behind-the-scenes stuff. So this was a hard episode to schedule. Uh, it's been moved around on the calendar three times. Uh, people wanted to be on it. Then their schedules changed. Then my schedule changed. Uh, and we just couldn't ever seem to make it work. So uh, it ended up getting to the point where I said, okay, this is the absolute last time that we can do it. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, no one else had a free schedule. So the podcast had to be recorded. So it's just me solo. A lot of behind the scenes drama, I know, but it's kind of fitting for the movie we're about to talk about, which is Ant-Man. First, let's start out with talking about the comics a little bit, because as I alluded to in one of the earlier episodes, um, we need to talk about Hank Pym. So... I talked about in uh, Age of Ultron that the sort of the specter of Hank Pym held over because a lot of the things that happened in that movie are things that Hank Pym did or was directly involved in. And because Hank Pym has not had not to this point been introduced in the comics, they had sort of given all this up to Tony Stark, which is fine. It's a it's a Marvel Cinematic Universe, totally different from the comics. It's doing that. But as comic fans know, it's sort of like, oh, that was that was that was not yours, Tony. That was somebody else's. But changes must be made, and I, I fully accept that. Then we get to Ant-Man, and we're going to introduce Hank Pym. Now, Hank Pym is a, I want to say, I want to say controversial. That's not really quite the right word, but um, he is a troubled figure uh, in the comics, most notably for the fact that he has had some mental issues in the past. Now, of course, mental issues are nothing new for the Marvel Universe. We have many characters that have similar ones. I mean, for instance, Bruce Banner has a... Rage, rage issue. Uh, but Hank Pym were a little different. He had some identity problems. So when he started out, he was Ant-Man, and he was about the Ant-Man we kind of see in the, in the flashbacks in this movie. He was you know, brave and heroic, and he was a scientist, and he was always trying to, to improve and make things better. And he was married to Jan, Janet Van Dyne. Um, so the two of them were, were the, the couple was Ant-Man and the Wasp, the two of them. But uh, as it went along, he also had control controlling his rage, so much so that he became an abusive spouse. And there's a very, very famous comic panel where he actually, on on panel, I guess you would say, slaps his wife. Uh, so he is an abuser at this point. 
<laughs> you can see how this is difficult to have as a hero. Uh, hard to bring that back. Uh, they've tried numerous times. He also has had numerous identity issues where uh, he's had many different names, many different things. He's created whole new personas for himself, uh, whole new identities for himself. He, he's so so the character is is problematic let's say to to adapt mark miller in his way of always making the uh <laughs> the subtextual textual uh when he did the ultimates and he had hank pym in there he actually had him trying to murder his wife uh because you know subtlety is dead this is why they made the the right choice uh in not having hank pym be the guy not having him be another tony stark to have him be an older character who had done his sort of adventuring done his his time and now is serving as the mentor figure that way you sidestep all of that stuff and and there's no reason that we that every part of a cannot a, a character's history uh, needs to be incorporated into an alternate version of that character. There's, I mean, our, our Tony uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe likes a drink, but he is not a raging alcoholic that he is in the Marvel 616 comic book universe. There's no reason that we never need to find out that this Hank Pym from the MCU uh, is actually the same rage monster <laughs> spouse abusing person. There's it's, there's no no reason that he's to dress up. Hank Pym is not the only one who has ever worn the Ant Man costume. He has had the people in the past. There's there's been a couple of them, including some some good, some not so good. Um, but Scott Lang is is an interesting one because it they they do an adaptation of his story, which is that he did steal the Ant Man suit for his own purposes, and he does have a daughter. Um, uh, that eventually goes on to be a hero herself. So let's get into the movie. So, like I said, July 2015. Um, this is the first Marvel movie that was actually shot at the brand new Marvel Studios in Atlanta. The building that was used for PIM Technologies was an extending building in Atlanta for a long time. It's been knocked down now. Um, uh, the Hank's house, like all those things are all all shot in Atlanta. Uh, so I, I hope they didn't have to shoot in the summertime because I lived in Atlanta for about a year. And yeah, summers are not fun down there. And I hate you running around in a giant leather Ant-Man costume at the same time. Let's get into the troubled production. Okay. Way back when the Marvel Universe was first announced, when when Iron Man was just about to come out at, at San Diego Comic-Con, not only are we doing like one movie, we're doing a bunch of movies. We're having them interconnected. It's a, it's a big thing. John Favreau was there talking about Iron Man, and talking about Ant-Man was the writer-director of Ant-Man at that time, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright is a, is a brilliant British director. He is actually one of my favorites. Uh, he is probably most well-known for uh, the, what they call the Cornetto Trilogy, which is Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. Those three sort of are thematically connected, if not actual, they're not actual sequels to each other, but the same cast and the same sort of sentiment to them. He also uh, was one of the, the key people behind Space, which is a great, great uh, sitcom that you should watch. Notably, the last thing he came out to was Baby Driver, uh, which unfortunately stars an actor that we'd rather not think about. Uh, it's still a great movie. So he, at the time, was was recruited by them, like, say, like, hey, we want to do this, and he said, I want to do Ant-Man, I have these great ideas, and you want to do Ant-Man? Great! Like, what do you got? Go for it! Like, and so he was allowed to go off his own, but it took him a long time. Edgar Wright is very meticulous. He's not Ridley Scott, obsessively meticulous, but he's very, very specific about what he wants to do and how he wants to do it as a great director should be. In the early times, in the sort of the phase one period, I think we might have seen a, a great uh, Ant-Man movie from him. Uh, by the time we get to where we're at now, the Marvel Universe is pretty well established in terms of not only success, but tone and, and, and how the system works. So a powerful visionary director like Edgar Wright comes in and has great ideas of, like, here's what I want to do. And they say, okay, that's great, but... <laughs> you have to make it work between after Avengers 2. You have to make it work so the future stuff there. You can do this. You can do that. You can do this. You can do that. 
but you can't do any of these things. And that, I think, is where the problem started to come in. When it was still all wet clay, it was fine. But at this point, the, the Marvel Universe, the sort of, the I, I guess, house style uh, has kind of solidified. There's not quite as much freedom to maneuver. Now, there are people who can maneuver that. Like, we, we saw that uh, Joss Whedon kind of no longer can maneuver this. He, he's too much of an auteur. And I, and I say the word auteur, not derivatively. I mean, there, there are some people who are legitimately should be given a, a certain amount of like, they if they write and direct their own stuff, it comes out wonderfully. And there are certain people who can work extremely well within parameters of like, you can hear the things you can do, hear the things you can't do, like the Russo brothers. You, you can say to them, all right, you can use these characters, but you can't use these ones. You can go this far, but you can't go any farther than that. And they, they can thrive in that. But not everyone can. And Eddie Wright's one of those people who I believe can't really thrive under under restrictions. They tried and tried and tried, and then finally, when all the schedules aligned and they sat down at the table again, they were both in very different positions. Edgar had immense more experience and had done a lot more visual stuff. I didn't even talk about his his comic book adaptation, which is Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is a a wonderful film. That is one of my absolute favorites. Um, not very well regarded in terms of box office. Uh, I think it's found a cult following, uh, but in terms of visual style, it was stunning it still is it's it holds up immensely well they're both coming to the table very very different people kevin feige is one of those powerful people in hollywood and edgar wright is a is a incredibly well-regarded director before both of them were sort of like young guys trying to make their bones they tried and tried and tried and then it just didn't happen so at that point edgar had to say yeah it's just not going to work sorry like i have I have my own stuff I'd rather be doing. I don't want to have this fight. It's just not going to happen, you know. And then, and what I understand, it was it was an amicable parting of the ways. It wasn't uh, a behind the scenes in the way that uh, we're learning that Zack Snyder left Justice League in under different circumstances. Now uh, I don't believe it was it was that way. Uh, from what I've, I've read and things too, it was one of those. Yeah, it didn't work. Like it just didn't happen. And I don't ever see that Edgar Wright coming back to it, which is unfortunate because uh, apparently his script was terrific and everyone was super excited about him coming on board. Just didn't happen. But. The release date had already been announced. <laughs> so with that, uh, Marvel did not want to have be the first one to have egg on their face. So they are, had sort of, let's say, half a movie. They had already people had been cast. I mean, a lot of people had been cast on the strength of that script and Edgar Wright. And now they're left in limbo. Like, yes, you're signed to the movie, but you signed with us, not with him. So do it. And, and, and how have had to be convinced. They had to, to sort of. Marvel had to do what they had to do to keep people on board from running away as soon as Edgar Wright disappeared, that it would that they would run for the hills as well. They looked around to find a person, okay, we need a person who not only can work under our system, who is really good at making movies and also has a visual style and has a as an interest in this, because you can't just hire any schmo off the street to do Ant-Man. I mean, there's there's it's a highly complicated thing. There are, I think. Captain America, the first Captain America movie, could have been made by a couple different people, and it would have been pretty good. Uh, I, mean, they, I think they made the right choice in there, but there are certain things that I don't think can be done. We saw you know, Iron Man directed by two different people, and they both turned out pretty well. Uh, Thor's been directed by three different people, uh, and they, they've all, well, two of them have turned out wonderfully. <laughs> Sorry, Alan Taylor. But uh, for Ant-Man, it's just, that's, that's, it's a very, very different kind of film. So they needed to find somebody. So they looked around and they found a guy named Peyton Reed. Now, I've been a Peyton Reed fan for a long time. I've been waiting for him to finally make his mark. He had done a, a bunch of interesting things. Uh, one of the, A great movie called Down With Love, starring Ewan McGregor. It was a parody of the 1960s movie, so it was sort of like a modern re reworking of a style that everyone had sort of forgotten about. So it was... It, 
it, it didn't it didn't do incredibly well at the box office because it's sort of like people weren't speaking the language that he was he was uh, riffing on. But it's it's a it's a terrific movie. And he was actually in line to direct Fantastic Four before uh, Tim Story got involved way way back before. And he had a I only read a little bit of it, but he had a terrific take on the Fantastic Four. He wanted to have it be a night a six a swinging sixties space age Kennedy in the White House sort of like. Uh, an adventurous story. Uh, I think it would have been terrific, and and the whole thing, of course, fell apart because you know Mar- the the uh, Fox side of it wanted you know they wanted X Men, they wanted uh, their Fantastic Four like X Men because that was what was making money for them. Uh, so he and he sort of bounced around Hollywood for a while and made a couple things, nothing really that fantastic, and then this came along and do it, and I for one was super excited because I like I know he loves comic books, I know he knows his stuff. Uh, this would be his, really his chance to shine. And so he had to come aboard and convince everybody, look, I can do this. Like, we're going to have to rework a lot of stuff in a very short time frame. We're going to have to all pitch in together, but we can make this happen. We can make this movie. He had to rally everybody together. And, I, and then he managed to convince them all that he, he was the guy to do it. I think uh, eventually Lily was very open about the fact that she was ready to quit. She was ready to walk off because she came on board, partially to Marvel, but mostly because of Edgar Wright. But Peyton Reed managed to like say, like, this can happen. And the one of the first things he did is like, okay, I can't. Edgar, only Edgar Wright can do a great script in the same way that uh, only Zack Snyder could do a Zack Snyder script, as we saw with Justice League. That had to be reworked entirely. So they sat down and went through piece by piece. And I'm not going to go through it and do a, a they, this was theirs, this was his, this was theirs, this was his. But uh, a lot of different pieces were on it. So there's, there's some ideas from Edgar's script that still survived and then a lot of stuff that they brought in. And one of the things they wanted to do is they wanted to have this be a heist comedy, which is something that Marvel had not done before. And also is very intriguing. Like, oh, there were, so it's not just guy gets a suit, fights crime. It's you know, guy gets a suit and goes to rob something. That's interesting idea. They decided they wanted to do a heist comedy, not just a, a straight out action movie. So they brought in funny guys. They brought in uh, some of the uh, Paul Rudd, first of all, as it was already cast as Ant Man. Uh, he is also a a, a very funny. Uh, writer as well so they brought him to help punch up the script and they brought in adam mckay uh who had done uh, most notably the anchorman movies to help punch up the script and sort of make it make it theirs there's there's multiple credits on this thing so i think there's a lot of hands going on because at the time they just needed everybody to pitch in as much as they could piece things together they added some funny stuff they added more uh you know more comedy moments uh and then but still had that that heist sort of element to it and then of course the the crazy visuals that would have been along with it too and and, and funny things to do with uh shape shifting and things like that or i mean size shifting they also had a decision that that wasp was not going to be in the movie like it was going to be they're going to save that and then build up to that and that was one of the things is that like why can't hope just do all the stuff herself well there's no reason that she can't accept that her father won't let her because he doesn't want to lose her like he lost her mother. So they add in that sort of element to it, where it was building up to that. And at the end, we don't see, we only see a flashback of the old wasp, and then we'll only we'll see the new wasp is sort of leading onto it. And then we know, as we know now, you know, and from this point in July, in a couple months, we'll get to see her make her big debut uh, as wasp. It, it was a lot of like build the plane as we're flying it. Uh, that sort of sentiment of like let's all you know, hey hey guys, let's put on our show. And to the, to the to their credit, I think they pulled it off. Uh, I'm a big fan of this movie. Like, I think Ant Man is one of those. Even, even if you don't know the backstory going into it, it's just a fun, bouncy movie. Like, uh, it, there's there's a lot of really really good stuff. There's a lot of some great visuals. I mean, I, I've been sort of banging on Marvel a little bit about their their CG. 
you know, I was not a big fan of their Ultron design. Like, I mean, there's uh, that, but but I think the Ant Man, the 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 different shrinkings that they do is is terrific. I mean, even even the stuff you know is is pure CG uh, ends up like laughing. And actually, one of the few movies I have that they they can use CG as a punchline, uh, you know, to tell a joke, and it actually works. It actually being really funny instead of just like, wow, the people really uh, spend a lot of render time on that. It also has a lot of heart. I mean, like there, there's, there's the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cliches that are at play here, and uh, and you know, the plot ends up being uh, as as uh, frequent guest Laurie would say, uh, needlessly complicated. Uh, <laughs> but that's yeah, kind of that's part of the heist thing too. So uh, let's see. I'm, I'm going to dig in a little bit. I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to go point for point because obviously I'm by myself, so I'm not going to you know dig into everything. Uh, but I'll, I'll sort of. I'm just going to go along a little bit and uh, just point out some of the, the the cool stuff that happens. Once again, Marvel finds an interesting way to start the movie. Originally, the idea was they were going to start out with that Hank Pym fight uh in the in the 1940s like him uh going around and and uh, there's the tank and him fighting the soldiers up to we see that in, later in the the newsreel flashback that darren cross shows to uh the investors um that was gonna be the opening sequence which would have been interesting but they said that would have given away the tank gag from later on that he shrinks the tank and then next time you see the tank you'd be like oh and then you're just waiting for the tank to come into play as opposed to the, sort of not knowing it, it was real and all of a sudden boom there's a tank in 1989 at the is being uh, built and there's older Agent Carter, who's now a, a founding member of Shield. Shield up and running by this point, and we get to see uh, Howard Stark too. <laughs> John Slattery. Um, I, I like the fact that Marvel picked a, they needed a Walt Disney esque kind of person to be Howard Stark in the f- the flashback sequences in uh, Iron Man two in the in the newsreel footage, and so they picked John Slattery, which I think was a great choice. But then when they had Howard Stark back in the war. They chose a different actor, Dominic Cooper, to be young, young Tony Stark, and they've kept both of them. I, I think that's great because every time you you see one of them, you kind of know at one point. It's interesting. Somewhere I'd say probably in the in the sixties, there's a switch. <laughs> so then they need another actor to be the the bridge between the two of them. But I like the fact that uh, early is one actor and later is another actor. They've already sort of established that. And then we get to see uh, Marvel's uh, CG de-aging technology at work as we see 1989 Michael Douglas come walking into the scene. Now, sometimes this can be creepy. They can hit the uncanny valley with this, but I think it really works well because it's we all know what he looked like then. We can just watch Wall Street and see that's that's how he looked. Or, or uh, uh, this is about the this is about the uh, basic instinct kind of time. Or, or Romancing the Stone is actually what uh, Michael Douglas himself says uh, he looked like. Uh, and so we get to have that conversation where he's talking about that he doesn't want anybody to have his technology and setting it up. But you get to see a uh, uh, you know an older Agent Carter too. We get to see her or. In uh, Winter Soldier, as the very older Agent Carter, they use the 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 other way of the this this uh, Agatron. They aged her in that one, almost no makeup. They did it all with this with the CG process they use here, but they did the opposite direction for him. And I think it's really good, and it's also surprising because he didn't he did not expect when he started this movie to see uh, <laughs> '80s era uh, Michael Douglas stride across the screen and and, and slapping a dude around. So then we we jump forward to today and we meet uh, Scott Lang. Uh, played by Paul Rudd. Now, again, Paul Rudd was a what an inspired choice because he's not only is a charismatic and funny guy that he every time he shows up you just he's likable. He just you just like him. But he also ha- can do that pathos thing of like making you really feel from the frame. He's not just throwing jokes left and right. He's not that guy either. And also, he's a little bit older. Like I, I like the fact that they didn't try and have. I like the fact they didn't have their Scott Lang be another, you know, twenty five year old. 
you know, built guy. Like he he's in the way that I like Tony Stark is you know in his mid thirties. Then Paul Rudd is in mid thirties. I probably even closer to forty. I I, I won't I won't uh, do the uh, the unforbidden thing in Hollywood and reveal his actual age. You can look it up yourself if you want to. But he's an older guy. He's been through it. He's been like it was the same kind of thing. He his life was going a certain direction, and then when he noticed something going wrong, he tried to do his Robin Hood thing, and ended up getting caught for it. Still a little unclear what it was that he did. I mean, like we, we talk about, he found out the money was gone and then he rewired it. So it would go back to all the people that had been taken from, but I'm not sure how that ended up with him driving a car into a pool. Like <laughs> there's, I'm sure there's a comic book or something that explains that they probably did a prequel comic or whatever, but I, I don't see how this, it feels like all of his Robin hooding could have been done from a laptop. So I don't know why he was at someone's house that needed to be, but yeah, whatever. Um, it still, it still has. He, he, you sort of come into this legend thing. If he's a noble thief, he's not just a person that just robs people. He is a person that robs people, but he does it for specific reasons. So you get, you see him in prison and coming out. So already we have a convict, uh, you know, thief. That's going to be our, our lead character that we're going to follow in this Marvel superhero, uh, you know, story. Uh, and then we meet Luis, <laughs> and the whole movie just springs to life. Like, if you had any any worry about uh, the, that something was going to not be interesting, you meet Michael Pena as Luis, one of the great characters, one of the great supporting characters in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I pray that he's in Infinity War somewhere. <laughs> I don't think they'll probably have room to fit him, but uh, there's been the joke going around online, like, please let let Michael Pena as Luis uh, do a recap of everything that brought us to the to Infinity War so far. He's terrific. He is he's uh, always smiling, even when he's saying the, the 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 saddest things in the world, like talking about how he got his van and how <laughs> his life had completely fallen apart, but he's still happy about it. Everything. He's just happy-go-lucky the entire time, even though things are not great in his life. We cross over to the other side. So, okay, we've seen sort of our, our good guys. So now what's going on with the bad guys? Well, on the other side, we meet uh, Hope Van Dyne, which we don't really know much about her right now, except that it's Evangeline Lilly. Most people know from Lost, a, a, another terrific actress that I think they were, they were, uh, they, their casting was spot on as usual. And we meet uh, Darren Cross. So <laughs> we're right in the middle of Marvel's villain problem. And here's another one Darren Cross, Yellow Jacket. I, I, again, I don't blame Corey Stoll. Corey Stoll was coming off of House of Cards and had done a great season of House of, uh, House of Cards, really, really strong performance, a really good actor, and really gives it his all, but it's just not, there's not a whole lot there. It's, he's a evil businessman. That's it. Like, that sums up the entire thing. I get the impression that he was a really, like, wahaha businessman at one point, and they tried to soften him up because you can see that they, they try to introduce the fact that he was corrupted by the un, the suit being not sufficiently protected uh, there there's a couple times they, they make reference to this and usually it's done by looping which is when an actor set when the actors like their back is the camera they can say whatever they want so they have them come in and do that and they'll do that for rewrites at, some, at sometimes and almost every time they talk about this this uh that his mind is being affected it happens in looping so it's i think it's something they, that that came through later of like, Hey, maybe we should add this in. Uh, the idea is that he's, his judgment is been flawed because he's been so close to pin particles without having it, without having the proper protection for it. So it's warped his mind a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I think I would have rather had it just be that he was a, uh, just a dick. <laughs> 
it, either way, he doesn't work. Like they, they try to do that and it doesn't really help either. He's just another businessman, just another forgettable guy in a suit. Okay. We we see that he's he's Pim's rival. He's taken over the company. Uh, Pim is 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 out. He's he's you know sort of like a recluse living you know like a away from everybody else. Most people even think he's dead. And so we get Michael Douglas. So Michael Douglas is is one of those things where he had a a, a really great period and then a, a a pretty fallow period of acting. And now he sort of has has come back a little bit. And he's had some health issues too. So I'm not I'm not saying like he's he, he uh, uh, you know threw his career away or anything. He's had some issues. I, I think this is actually a really good role for him. He's moved into sort of the mentor thing. So he's not trying to recreate what he had before he's he's moved into sort of the the grandfatherly roles that you know if you're if you're lucky enough you can get a couple of really good ones you know a lot of actors have had a, a good sort of third career doing that and he does a good job here because he's he's still sharp he's still funny uh and he still had gets some good lines and he gets to do a couple of things I mean, he gets to punch a dude you know guys in his like probably his late 70s is not his 80s once again i'm not gonna i'm not gonna look because that's 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 rude. You know, he still gets to do some some pretty cool stuff and get involved, if not putting on the whole suit. And they they talk about how the fact that it sort of has it sort of wrecked his body, and that's why he can't really do it anymore. And he's a protective father, and he you know lost his wife, so he's keeping his daughter at arm's length, and uh, you know there's all that stuff going on. Plot moves forward, and, and we uh, we meet Scott's family. We meet uh, the irrepressible Judy Greer, who's always has to play this role. Like, <laughs> I feel bad for Judy. She played this role in Jurassic World too, so she's getting you know she's getting her residuals, which is great. She's keeping working, but Judy Greer is so much better than this. Like, she can do so much more than just be like Scott. Your daughter just needs you. Come on, and Bobby Bobby Cannavale too. He actually gets a couple of good laughs as the cop in too. But it's like, I guess the Marvel Cinematic Universe has gotten so big that. Even for the second tier role, third tier roles, I would say at this point, they're getting really good actors, which is kind of a shame because you're like, oh, you can, <laughs> but hopefully he only had to work for a week. But we set up the drama of uh, he's trying to be a good dad, but he's an ex-con and he can't get a job. We get some great bits with Baskin Robbins. It's super funny. We meet Cassie. So Cassie is his, is his daughter. Uh, in the comic book lore, uh, Cassie grows up. Uh, and to become a member of the Young Avengers uh, by the name of Stature, and so she can she has shape shifting abilities, and mostly bigger. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. I guess at some point she does learn to get smaller, but that her her abilities show up, and she can become huge. And later on, she learns to shrink. Uh, it's it's uh, it's so you know just like good old dad. Uh, so that that's the thing of him trying to be the good dad, and he, he can't get a job, and, and all these things. So then they they find they his his friends manage to convince him to do uh, a heist. So we have uh, we meet the the other two members of sort of the the team, um, uh, Kurt and Dave, uh, played by uh, David Dasmalchian and Ti. I don't know much about Ti's music. Uh, I told you he's, he's very good. I don't know uh, David Desmalchian. Uh, if you want to know more about uh, about him, uh, I'll recommend another podcast. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts. I was there too. Uh, he did an episode of that uh, talking about Ant Man and stuff too. And 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 so you get sort of a, a first hand perspective because he came in later in the process when uh, Peter had already took over. But he talks a little bit about how wild of a scene it was of them just trying to throw something together and then and letting them improvise and all these things just to, to try and you know to make the best movie that they can with what they had so it's, it's a very very good interview uh and and he's also very very funny so it's well worth your time they found a, a great heist and so they end up breaking into 
what we later found as Hank Pym's house, they go through all this stuff. We get to see Scott be thinking on his feet and, and figuring stuff out and, and, and uh, coming up with finding problems and then figuring out how to get around them using his intelligence. So we know that he's, you know, quick on his feet and figure. And then he breaks in and he steals the Ant-Man suit. Uh, and then brings it back. So then when he's trying it out, oh, the ticking clock of this is that Darren Cross, uh, who eventually become Yellow Jacket, has developed a suit that basically will do the same thing as the Ant-Man suit. He can shrink, and then he's also trying to sell this technology so that you know people can use it. And then you know whoever is in control of this will then be unstoppable because how are you going to stop an army of microscopic fighters? Um, so we have to. Uh, that that's sort of like the uh, the overarching thing of like this is why we have to do this now. So he finds a suit, and uh, we get to see our first shrinking thing where him going through the levels of his apartment, which is a fantastic sequence. It's still just a great visual thing of of seeing all these different levels of uh, of things from Ant's perspective, going to the dance party and having to go through and falling on the record and getting hit by the needle and seeing you know having a rat be like this giant dinosaur sized creature. All these uh, all these great things, and that that sequence ends with a one of the most. Uh, one of the most arcane gags <laughs> in all the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, so Scott falls through the building. He figures out how to how to. He, he's told by Hank how to grow himself again. So he he grows and then falls and smacks on a roof, crash down. They cut to inside the car, and inside the car is Garrett Morris. Garrett Morris uh, is a is one of the. Uh, uh, founding members of Saturday Night Live. He was a Saturday Night Live performer. And everyone who knew who Garrett Morris was went, why the heck did they get Garrett Morris to do one line in Ant-Man? I'm going to tell you why. Because Garrett Morris is the very first actor to ever portray Ant-Man. What, you say? And some of you are like, yeah, we know this. Just move on. What, some of you say? There was a sketch on SNL where a bunch of superheroes came together for a party and Garrett Morris showed up as Ant-Man. Like it was, it was the idea that it was sort of like a uh, a, a really gathering of all the the the, the superheroes. They were they're they were paying people dressed up as superheroes. They were playing the superheroes themselves, and he came out as Ant Man. So in a, <laughs> I, I'm thinking this must be Adam McKay because he's a student of comedy. <laughs> must have put this in. Um, or, or asked for it, so it's it's the most it's the strangest like connection uh, of, of going back all the way through. But like, what a nice little nod of like, yeah, you were the first guy, and so here's the latest guy uh, that they put in. So that's why Garrett Morris is the guy in the car. So let's see, we we move on. Uh, we get we get into a lot of plot stuff. We find out that we find out about more about the the plan of, of Hank Pym's, and we get to see Luis do his uh, one of his great. Um, <laughs> narration things of like how he got the information like as he tells the story that gets more and more ridiculous as it goes along we talk about the ridiculousness of the of the villain plots a lot uh, and we will again as there's some more ridiculous plots coming but <laughs> as a hero plot this is pretty complicated for no particular reason like I don't know why I, I, I get that he wanted to test Scott All right, I see that but the way that Hank goes about it of like paying a woman to talk to her boyfriend who will talk to a guy that's on his softball team, who will talk to Luis's cousin, who will talk to Luis to get to Scott to come and rob this place. Really? (laughs) Like you had that all worked out (laughs) as a, as a 75 year old man, you figured out the entire connections between all these people that the information would get to him how did you know another group wouldn't try and knock it off why do you think you're right to scott oh there's 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 a lot of problems with that I, 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 it's just 
it's overly complicated for for no particular reason. But but uh, you know, it's it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it worked. So he, he gets there. So we get into uh, a lot of the there's the, the conflict between him and Hope, and why I like to do it. And Hope is tougher, smarter, uh, everything more than him. Uh, and then uh, we get to see Scott realize the reason that he's on the team is because he's expendable. Uh, because if he dies, then you know, no, neither of them will weep any big tears for him. And you know, it's, and that's that's I like I kind of like the fact that they they directly address that. It was one of those uh, underlying things that he said, "Yeah, I figured this out too." We get into the training montage, which is great. We get to see a bunch of the different see, meet the different ants and their different styles. Some really really great visuals they came up with too. They, and again, for for having a compressed timeline, they really did a nice job of of making all of the the visual effects really really work i mean i I never really doubt i mean that's the nice thing about this is that you're not you're not trying to have paul rudd on a green screen running around and then you're going to have cgi ants around them like they cgi all of it so it all looks the same i I like that um that it has a consistent look that you know it's it's you're not looking at a a real person you know combined with cg stuff or or a cg person combined with real stuff that always is where the little bit of the disconnect comes in but when you have it all together I think it, it works much better, and they did a great job of this too. And Peyton Reed is not known for visual effects either, so the fact that he was able to pull this off, uh, you know, obviously the great team are there too, but it's how you put together the sequences that really make the difference. Uh, and he really, really is shown in that aspect. So then we get to probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, <laughs> which is Ant Man needs to, and I think this was you can you can tell this part could have easily been cut out of the movie and it would have been absolutely fine. This was the very, that's the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, piece that needed to be put in that they put in the fact that he needs to get a MacGuffin. <laughs> he needs to get a magical Stark part from a warehouse and he goes to visit the warehouse. And the warehouse turns to be where the headquarters of the Avengers are now. So he sneaks in and he's thinking, ah, nobody's going to find me and immediately is spotted by Falcon. Uh, and they have a great scene. I think this was fun because both both of these guys are really really funny. Uh, not their their characters aren't really that that funny, but both of them are, and so they could the two of them can play off each other. Mackie does a a terrific job in this. I think he he's really really funny. It's a great visual scene. We get to see how Ant Man's powers can be used in real combat, which we haven't really seen before, uh, and, and how much of a threat he can really be to someone like Falcon. Um, uh, they have they have a, a really good fight scene, and, and you know it's it's the Marvel tradition of uh, heroes fighting heroes, and we're going to be seeing a lot more of that pretty soon. Uh, and also, this is also setting up some future stuff too, which is nice. So it, it it's you know it uh, it helps a lot of on a lot of different levels. We finally get to to learn uh, like sort of a little bit of Hank's origin story, and we get to see the Wasp. So they do a flashback to I think it's supposed to be during the Cuban Missile Crisis somewhere in there. A missile has launched, and they have to stop it. And so uh, you find out about uh, that if you don't have the inhibitor that stops you at a certain point, you'll just keep shrinking forever. The pin particles will just compress you until you're you're, you're subatomic, and even further beyond that into the quantum realm, uh, which which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe of the microverse. The microverse is what Stanley and then they came up with as the, the there the idea is that there's a, basically if you go down far enough there's actually a whole other dimension uh of like regular people and that stuff and and, and hank has visited that dimension numerous times there's a, they have their own heroes and villains and it's a it's a whole thing but they call it they call it the quantum realm in this which i think is a much more current and, and thing and makes people go ooh, you put the word quantum in anything and they go ooh, unless it's quantum solace in which case you just go oh so uh so you you find out that janet uh van dyne uh, hank's wife and hope's mother uh had done this she had uh to save the world, she basically had gone subatomic. She does what Scott's going to do later in the movie. She, you know, changes her thing so she goes all the way down, solves the thing, and then keeps on going. 
So she only and and Hank spent the rest of the time looking for. Her. He sort of like devoted his life to finding her and never could, and ended up losing you know his to his daughter. The process and and the whole thing, everything sort of fell apart for him. That's so they planted this already. So like this is this you know this obviously comes back later. Um, and then you get to see a little bit why like why he's keeping her at arm's length and and, and that, and that's why he doesn't want her to be the Ant Man or Ant Ant Woman. Love a heist. Love, love, love. It's one of my favorite tropes in all of fiction. Uh, I love it. Like I love assembling the team. I love uh, having it go wrong. I like that something goes wrong. They have to adjust to it, and then you think they've lost, but it was actually was always part of the plan. This is why I loved Leverage so much. This is why Ocean's Eleven remake with uh, George Clooney and Brad Pitt uh, is probably one of my favorite movie. Is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I love a good heist. So this is a pretty good heist. Uh, they have a lot of moving parts, a lot of people doing their stuff, a lot of uh, things come along. They have to readjust and, and go through. It's it's it, great visual effects, really funny. Michael Michael Pena has a lot of really good stuff. Luis gets to to knock out a couple of dudes, which is great. And then it comes down to two guys fighting in suit. Why? Say it with me now. Because the genre demands it. However, I, I gotta say, even though it is two guys in suits fighting it out, they did find some fun stuff to do, like the the fact that the the battle goes uh, up to the roof, starts in a helicopter goes into the briefcase of a helicopter where, where there's there's all the stuff bouncing around, including an iPhone, which starts playing music, uh, which is a nice way of having a needle drop in the middle of a fight scene, which is great. It breaks out. Uh, they, they go separate ways and it ends up culminating in a giant fight uh, of them throwing trains at each other, except that they're tiny little trains because they're on a, a girl's play table uh, with their Thomas the Tank Engine going all the way through. Nice, you know, size-changing stuff, too. We get to see some some really, really fun, some nice gags of, like, you, and you're on their scale. It's this huge, dramatic, what's going to happen? And then they cut they cut to normal size. And you just see, like, a train fall over. Or like a little thing goes clunk. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really funny, and it goes back and forth between the two really, really well. And then, see uh, Scott go subatomic. So, he, he takes off an inhibitor, goes through, defeats Yellow Jacket, but then keeps on going. And they, they had said something at the time, Doctor Strange was coming. They, like they were already in development of Doctor Strange by this point. I think they'd even cast Benedict. Uh, and they said that there's a connection to Doctor Strange in that point. And I guess the weird visual stuff, like as, as he's going through the different realms, as he's shrinking, 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 I think that's some of the same stuff that Doctor Strange sees when he has his vision trip later on. I, I think they. Like you probably crossed over some of the same kind of stuff. I didn't really see any direct connection. And some even say you can see uh, there's some Easter egg stuff in there, but I never saw any of the things that people were saying. He figures out that he, like, you know, through the technology thing, like he's got the discs that can make him bigger. So if he does that and the inhibitor and, you know, a lot of science jiggery pokery stuff. Um, and he doesn't, he brings himself back and then figures out that, hey, if I could do this, your wife could have done this too. And so she's out there. And, and I, I believe from what I've been told that that question will be answered. Uh, in uh, Amen the Lost. And I believe if you are the type that doesn't mind mild spoilers, if you go to the IMDb page for Ant-Man and the Wasp, you'll find out more probably than than uh, <laughs> the casual viewer would want to know. Um, but that question will be answered. Uh, what happens there? We get to see then uh, uh, that everything, everything is sort of is better. Scott's still yeah, not quite okay with the law, but a little bit better. Uh, he's 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 okay, and then things are okay with his family, and um, they start uh, thinking about that. He and Hope are now starting to be a couple. Uh, I don't know if that's going to last. Um, but then at the end of the movie, we get to call back to one of the, the one of the best things they've done is Luis gets to tell another story, and this we find out that Falcon is looking for Ant Man. 
Uh, and I'm gonna t- uh, there's a little bit of timeline question here. I'm going to talk about that in the Civil War episode because there'll be hopefully there'll be some more people around that we can talk about that with. But uh, it's it, it's it's uh, interesting because it calls back to what's going on and also firmly ties it into the Marvel universe. Now we get then we get to our first Easter egg. Our first Easter egg is uh, we get to see Hope uh, being shown the upgraded Wasp suit that her dad's been working on, and then she can say the line that every female fan. It's about damn time. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons she wanted to do the movie is like, yeah, it's about time for a female hero that's not Black Widow. <laughs> uh, and then I get to see, so we get to see the second Easter egg is actually not really an Easter egg scene. It is a scene from another movie. We actually get to see a small clip of Civil War, which was which was very very far into production at this point. Um, it was special effects, but we get to see uh, Falcon and Captain America and Bucky. Uh, all together and a little bit of a scene in there and and it's it's edited a bit i I, as i watched civil war again i see that there's little things they cut out but they talk about stuff that we didn't know what they meant what are the accords why can't they talk to tony but then it ends with of course i know a guy and so we know exactly what guy he's talking about hey what are your final thoughts well i'm glad you asked let me let me tell you my final thoughts amen is still a, a a really really fun movie i mean if you if you uh if you pull too hard on a lot of the strings yeah stuff will unravel there's it's not the the strongest plot it's not the most you know uh, pulled together of movies and that's fine like i'm i'm okay with them playing a little looser this is a this is a heist comedy still set in the marvel universe which is which is fantastic I, it's a great idea i think from watching the the preview for amen lost they're, they're continuing down on this i'm doubly excited for that because this is now Peyton Reed gets to sort of like do everything on his own. There's no more specter of Edgar Wright hanging over it. It's everything from here on out is stuff that he and the and the creative team developed on their own. It's not uh, other someone else's ideas that they had inherited and, and chose to use or not use. I, I really am looking forward to seeing what the, what they come up with on their own. And from the first trailer, I'm already excited because you see a lot of really really fun things they're doing with size and stuff again, which is a fun thing with this. And then uh, introducing Scott uh, Scott as Ant-Man, uh, Paul Rudd into the Marvel Universe is nothing but joy. Like the, he, every scene he's in from here on out, it's terrific. Like he adds uh, that, hey, wow, this is really cool aspect to it that you don't really get except for uh, maybe with Spider-Man. Um, but like, you know, he, you get the idea that he knows how lucky he is to be along with something like this and, you know, bring it on. And then and now finally get to see uh, the Wasp in, in action. I, I, I think Evangeline Lillard is terrific. I've liked her every, everything I've seen her in and I can't wait for her to, to join the ranks with all the rest of them and and be a full-fledged hero i think uh ant-man is unfairly maligned i think a lot of the times people sort of sort of uh you know uh put it to the side as a lesser film whatever thing but i i don't think it's that way at all i think it's a i think it's they were trying a lot of new and interesting things and i think most of them work like with a lot of like the uh adam mckay stuff it tends to be a little looser and so that you 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 feel sort of the 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 pull of that but um i i always have fun with it i always like to join i showed it to my you know, my ten-year-old. It's one of her favorites of the all the. She's seen all the Marvel movies, uh, and this is one of her favorites too. She loves the the crazy visuals and uh, and the the fun. The, and I, I I know parents out there. I know there's some inappropriate stuff, but we talk about that, so it's it's cool. Don't worry, I got it under control. Um, but uh, Ant Man, uh, I think it's a, it's a great great movie. Uh, I think they they do a, a lot with a little, uh, <laughs> so to speak, uh, and it comes out all right. So, all right. So uh, that was our that was uh, that was our, our stop on the road uh, at Ant Man. So uh, next, uh, things are going to get a lot more serious. <laughs> uh, our, our next film uh, in the in the running order is Captain America: Civil War. 
That's right. Heroes fighting heroes. Things are going to get super dour. Um, so that's, that should be, that's going to be an interesting discussion because that is another, that is a, 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 another game changer in the Marvel cinematic universe. Things, nothing is the same after that. So, uh, well, there. So, uh, as always, uh, thank you to, uh, engineer Alice, uh, for making the show sound great. Uh, all the professionals that come from her, all the mistakes are my own. Um, thank you for, for listening. Uh, like subscribe, do all the things, tell your friends. Um, uh, and we'll uh, see you further on up the road. You've been listening to the Road to Infinity podcast brought to you by Legible Scrawl. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or even at our website at www.legiblescrawl.com. We'll see you further on up the road. The podcast you just heard was recorded with Anchor. If you want to make your own, download the Android or iOS app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast. That's anchor.fm slash podcast.